This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehabilitation. Let's be honest, when it comes to postpartum care, the majority of mothers are sent home with nothing more than a peri bottle and instructions to rest. And what is rest when you've just had a baby? Mothers are left to navigate their recovery entirely on their own without any insight into how pregnancy or labor and delivery will impact their health in the future. It's absolutely insane when you consider that the traditional healthcare system today provides better rehab protocols for sprained ankles than mothers after birth. This is why Dr. Ali Kane created GroCo. The online community features 50-plus workouts streaming 24-7, weekly live workouts, and monthly master classes. Right now, the program is 50% off for lifetime access, and for the Mom Room podcast listeners, you can save an additional 20% with the coupon code MOMROOM. Head on over to GrowCoRehab.com and sign up. How you heal now will affect the rest of your life. Check out the episode notes for additional details. All right, so today I'm talking to Walk Talk Play, which is made up of four super impressive ladies. Kim and Amanda are occupational therapists. Rhea is a pediatric physical therapist, and Sean is a speech language pathologist. They are based out of Los Angeles, California, and have a passion for enhancing motor skills, sensory processing, and language through play for children ages two to five. Their website is an absolute goldmine for activities to do with your children. They share their favorite toys and books and so much more information regarding fine motor skill development, gross motor skill development, and language. So to start, I thought I would just have one of you explain how and when Walk Talk Play was started, how it came about. Um, Sure. So this is Rhea, the physical therapist. Um, I would say we we met about four to five years ago. We were all um, school-based therapists at the time, and we at the time were working for the same school district and had some overlapping schools. And we shared a couple of the same students on our caseload, so we were working together and collaborating to treat the same kiddos. And um, I, a quick story about myself is that I came or I transitioned from treating mostly adults. And I was in an orthopedic and neurological setting. And I think I saw, Renee, that you had been doing PT recently. And um, yes. if, based on your experience, I'm sure that you have uh, noticed that PT with adults is a lot of verbal exchange. So there's a lot of talking about signs and symptoms, talking about issues. The PT will provide patient education and tell you exactly what type of exercises or activities to do and give you feedback. And a lot of it is verbal. So when I jumped into pediatrics like four to five years ago, I quickly learned that that approach definitely did not work with children in any way. Um, And that's because children don't learn through that type of approach. They learn through play and their occupation and their, their work is play. And so I figured that, you know, 
if I wanted to be an effective therapist, then I better get really good at playing with kids because if it wasn't through a play-based approach, it really wasn't going to happen. Um, so luckily at that time I was, I was surrounded by these ladies who just happened to be like the most amazing P, uh, not PTs, but the most amazing play experts, therapists that I've ever met. And I was just like enamored by how they were able to engage and motivate their kids. And so I learned a ton just from talking to them and watching them treat and then treating with them as well. And I don't know if you know much about school-based therapy, but it's very non-traditional in the sense that we don't get we, we, we're not really working in like a clinic where we're surrounded by tons of equipment or tons of toys. Sometimes we're literally just showing up with a tote bag of toys and kind of figuring it out at each school. And sometimes we, you know, I've done treatment sessions in the cafeteria or in a hallway or wherever it was applicable for a child to, to practice motor skills. Um, so we all, I think as school-based therapists have gotten really creative and, um, and good at playing. Uh, so I think that, you know, after a couple years when we would pick each other's brains and talk about this, you know, even after a couple happy hours, we all, <laughs> we all basically had the sense that there were so many little strategies and tips and things that we implemented and we were used to implementing as therapists with kids to help promote or encourage motor skills or or speaking and communication that like all all parents or all moms could benefit from so that's when I think it was about a year ago when we decided like let's start a blog and an Instagram and just share our ideas and get that information out there and make it accessible to anyone who wants to enhance or get better at the way they play and interact with their kids totally and I it is so valuable. And like I was saying before we started recording, just because you have a child, it doesn't mean that you're going to know how to play with them. Like it's like for me, like I'm an adult. And I always say that, like, I'm an adult. Why would I know how to play with a toddler? First of all, like, why would I enjoy it? I'm an adult, but you want to be able to do it efficiently and do it in a way so that they're developing and you're playing with them at their level I guess um so I guess to start we'll just kind of go over um developmental stages between and so you guys work with children between the ages of two and five yeah so what are oh go ahead sorry I was just gonna say like what are the kind of the basic milestones or like developmental milestones that would be um, applicable to play that you would see between two and five? Yeah. So it's funny. So in talking about milestones, you know, I think when you have a child, you, you take that baby home and, and you hear constantly like do lots of tummy time with this kiddo and um, talk, read and sing and expose, you know, expose them to all of this language And, you know, basically that's your first introduction as a parent to what purposeful play is and where your, you know, how to get your child meeting milestones. And I think the first year you're doing multiple checkups with the pediatrician and they're giving you lots of feedback and like every two to three months constantly checking in 
and making sure that your baby's kind of within close within the range of meeting all of these milestones. Um, so, you know, as the, the, once the child becomes, like turns one year, year old, then usually like the pediatrician visits become less frequent and we're not really looking at milestones as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always encourage parents to, to, to keep kind of looking at milestones and monitor them because they get more complex as your child does grow because they're becoming more complex humans. Um, and they're able to do a lot more. So it's a good idea to keep an eye on where they should be, but then also keep in mind that those milestones are really just a range. And, mm. and based on your kiddo's interests, like if your child is really, really interested in moving their body, then they're not necessarily going to, they may not necessarily be big talkers. Um, or if they're more interested in like touching and feeling things or playing with toys and puzzles, then they may not be big movers. So it just kind of depends. And so it's really good to, even as your kiddo gets older into that two to five range, keep a good um, relationship with the pediatrician and not be afraid to ask and not be afraid to like seek out any type of consult or assessment with, you know, any type of professional that might help if you have concerns. But in terms of like play developmentally, you know, around two years, that's when kiddos kind of move from not just playing on their own in their own space, but now looking at others and looking at other children and trying to maybe mimic their behavior a little bit, not necessarily like playing with them, but playing and and observing them from a distance. And that's kind of, that's called onlooker or spectator play. Um, and then around two and a half to three years, usually they will um, start doing what's called parallel play. And that's when you'll notice your, your child is playing near and wanting to play near kids, but not necessarily interacting with them a lot. Um, and then once they turn three, and again, this is just a range, so it's not a hard start and stop, but they will start to um, transition into more associative play, which is like, you know, where they're starting to interact with their peers and they're starting to work on sharing and they're starting to, to you know, maybe play like tea party or things like that. And then for around the age of four, they'll transition into a cooperative play. Where, and that's usually where they're transitioning into much more complex play, like being able to follow rules and then work together towards like a shared goal. Um, is there so is there a difference in just when you're going through like the social um, stages of play mm-hmm. based on age, is there a difference between kids who start daycare at an earlier age versus a child maybe that was at home um, until they were four and went to school? Like if you're surrounded by kids earlier on, mm-hmm. do you develop those skills sooner? So I'm not quite sure if there's any research studies and anybody can speak up if if they know of them, but it would make sense that kids that are exposed to more peers earlier would start to develop those skills because they're practicing it more. So they, you know, if you're exposed to that and you're in an enriched environment where there are a lot of other kids around, then you have a lot more models around you. And so your Mm -hmm. play, your play probably will progress to that stage a little bit quicker, but kids are pretty resilient. And once they kind of get the groove especially like in the day, you know, in this day and age of COVID where there are a lot of kids right now in that age range that are stuck at home and they're not getting a lot of 
um, play with other kids. Um, right. But generally, like kids to do tend to be pretty resilient and pick up and start to develop those once they are starting to get exposed to to other peers. Right. And then in working um, with this age group for many, many years, most of the research states that it's all around kindergarten. So like the most important is when you're like four or five. Um, That's where all most of the research is and about the importance of kindergarten and first grade. And that's why I don't know how it is in Canada, but some states in the U.S., um, kindergarten is mandatory or sometimes it's optional. But like Raya was saying, just any type of peer model is great and any type of exposure and experience, because even if they're still like on onlooker, which is when you're watching other children play and not really playing next to them, they're still exposed to that play and Mm -hmm. they're building those relationships a little bit earlier. But like Raya was saying, by the time you're like four or five and going to enter school, kids learn so quickly. So um there's no major research saying that the importance is there. Um, it's just kind of an exposure thing. Like it doesn't hurt um, to do it. So that's the that's my big thing of what I've noticed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. 
And so I guess, so this question would probably be for Sean. With regard to speech and speech development, my son, like he was developed, he was a little bit behind and then COVID hit and we were in quarantine. And even though my friend's uh, an SLP and, you know, she was giving me all the tools to try and like boost his language. During quarantine, he was at home with just me and I was talking to him, talking to him, like trying all these things. And his language was like getting better, but not, you know, Mm -hmm. amazing. And then he started back in daycare and like his language (laughs) has exploded. And it's not like and it was so bizarre because I was like, are you serious, kid? Because I talk to you all day, every day. And like you're not like producing, you know, and then he goes to daycare with other kids who are probably just babbling and, you know, saying words here and there. And his speech like exploded. So with that, is daycare something that kind of um, like triggers speech to develop quicker? It can. And and like Kim was saying, you know, peers, peer models are so huge. They just do, it does so much for kiddos or even just being exposed to other children and being, you know, he may have different motivations. Maybe somebody took his toy and he has to learn how to say that he wants that back or something, you know, he has different experiences. Mm. Um, And it's not that you didn't do anything. It's not that you did anything wrong, (laughs) but you were clearly talking, talking, and you got all all great advice, I'm sure from your friend. Um, But there are just so many different experiences that kids are just through play with other peers. Um, yeah, they're going to sure. be having to use language for different functions now. They're not, it's not just, um, you know, at home, they know the routine. Mom knows the routine. Mom knows what I want and what I like. I have to use my voice or communicate in some way to be telling the teacher or a peer that I don't like that, or I want this, or, um, you know, it's just the, that peer interaction does so much. Right. Okay. So that's, you know, I'll say that I'm too good of a mom. Like I knew too much of what (laughs) he wanted. That's what it was. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Amanda, what were you saying? Sorry, who was going to say something? Oh, it's Amanda. I was just going to say that in general, though, that, you know, development and play, it's not linear. You know, Mm -hmm. we do get kids who all of a sudden have these bursts where maybe he wasn't saying more words when he was at home, but you were exposing him to a lot of language Mm -hmm. and he was hearing new words and he was hearing some of those prompts. And then we kind of get these pops sometimes. And it always seems like that it's one area versus another that like Rhea was saying earlier, sometimes you get a kiddo who's really gross motor driven. They're the kid who they're learning to walk. They're starting to crawl they're maybe going to be a little quieter right then, you know, like they're really focused on this new skill set they're, they're learning and they're building. And then as that levels out and they've gotten some skills in it, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, now I can free myself up for this new burst of skills in a different area. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely not linear and it certainly doesn't, it teeter totters back and forth between um, different developmental areas. Right. Um, So next So in our outline, I know you guys had mentioned that there's a ton of different types of play, but I thought we could go over maybe just some of the the most popular types of play and what those look like. Sure. So this is Sean again. Um, So Rhea was talking about the stages of play from a social context, and we can also talk about the different types of play as related to how children play with objects. So it's really related to how to their cognitive skill development, which of course is going to be changing as they're growing and maturing. Um, so I can really talk about the the main types like 
um, you know, children start playing by exploring the world and their environment. And um, this would be called sensory motor play. And it's really when kiddos are learning about objects by using their senses to explore them. So they're, you know, looking at them, examining them, feeling them, smelling them, poking, prodding. Um, and of course, this matures as a child matures. So an infant will be holding and feeling and banging things like pots and pans and Toddlers will be filling and dumping, filling and dumping, and then preschoolers will be stirring and pouring. So it gets more complex as they get older. And then as their cognitive skills continue to develop and they learn, oh, I can actually do something else with this thing that I've been exploring. I can build something and make new things. And, um, you know, that's what's called constructive play, which is exactly what it sounds like. So building, making things with objects like blocks. Uh, Legos or Play-Doh, and that also progresses from more simple, so just like stacking blocks, to then more complex play. So like copying, maybe copying an image of a of a Lego castle or a car, um, or making making an animal out of Play-Doh, something like that. Um, and so then Milo is that the like the sensory, the initial, the early sensory play makes me think of when kids put everything in their freaking mouth. Yes. Is that? Yes. yes. And Miss, and, Miss Amanda, Amanda and Kim can talk a little more about the sensory play too. If that's yeah. That was the worst. 100%. <laughs> we recently did a post that there are just like so many nerve endings in your mouth. It's just an explosion. So um, yeah, sensory motor is huge. They want to feel things. They want to put things in their mouth. They want to squeeze. They want to bang things together. <laughs> It's huge. And it's one of the main, main parts of play. And we actually really, we always try to do like a sensory bin every once in a while. And we love to recommend that because a lot of parents are kind of scared of sensory play. They're scared. Like they don't want kids to put things in their mouth. They don't want um, them to hold on to the toys. They don't want to feel different textures. So, but they just need to remember that that's a huge huge component of play and one of the foundations is definitely the sensory motor one so my friend and I to touch it and feel it right my friend and I brought our two toddlers she's a little bit her daughter's a little bit younger than Milo we brought them to this little farm where it was just so that they could pet and play with these miniature goats (laughs) and her daughter was just sitting on the grass and trying to eat their poop (laughs) there you go (laughs) you maybe don't want that play but (laughs) yeah I mean that happens a lot that happens a lot well you have to remember that Little kid hands don't know how to manipulate things. That's why young children will use their mouth because if your hand can't manipulate things within it and translate things within it, you're not getting a lot of information about it unless you stick it in your mouth and feel <laughs> That's it. That's so you know? funny. <laughs> oh, man. And then, so as you said, the the filling and the dumping stage, mm-hmm. that's exactly like when you said that, a light bulb went off because I was like, oh, my God, that is what milo does right now he (laughs) likes to fill things and then dump it and then fill things and then dump it Mm -hmm. and then you'll see next he's gonna start building yeah Yeah. he's gonna be filling and dumping and then he's gonna realize like wait these containers can go on top of each other (laughs) and i'm gonna fill them and then stack them it's really great to just like witness this progression of play yeah. And so I guess because right now when I build things for Milo, like I'll build like a Lego tower or whatever it is. He's not so much interested in the tower. He just wants to knock it down. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah. He's At first. Yeah. Knocking it right down, build it and let him just like run right into it because that's mm-hmm. 
where he is right now. He's just like identifying that there he's identifying that there's a tower. He's not quite identifying the steps required to make said tower. So he right. sees like, oh wow, mom just put that up. I can knock it down. Like that's his <laughs> level right there. Mm-hmm. And so that's what about kinds of Yeah, exactly. What about kinds of play that's, you know, fitting the pieces into a puzzle? Like he does that right now a lot as well, like fitting the farm animals into the, you know, the cutouts. Yeah, so that is like his visual motor skills developing. Um, And then it's also part of the like the building and making. So he sees that the object can fit in and he's really using his visual motor skills that way. So that's really at that is at Milo's age, um, insert puzzles are great and blocks are great, but just yeah, that's more so building an underlining skill. Right. Awesome. Okay. So, so also in our outline, we had red flags for play. So, what did you guys mean by that? And what are some red flags that parents uh, can look out for? So, Sean, again, <laughs> we can. So the the red flags really when you look at uh, you know, that's where those, the social, um, those guidelines really help those social stages of play and the types of play. So when you're looking at, you know, we talked about sensory, um, the sensory motor play and the constructive play, but then it gets more complex with pretend play. Um, and that's when you really see those social aspects coming in when you know, it really is starting with toddlers who are using materials like realistic materials like eat like pretending to eat toy food maybe milo's doing that now pretending a toy phone is a real phone something like that um yeah and so then it becomes more abstract and we start to see them role playing and also using an object uh, to resent to represent something else like using toy food as a phone you know like pre- using that symbolic play and imaginative play pretend play so when we're talking about red flags it's really looking at are they um progressing through those stages of play and and participating in different types of play that makes sense for them developmentally. So overall, you know, if a child is, um, and every kiddo is different. So that's why we say, you know, look at the milestones, but also know that there's a range and every kiddo is so different. But we know um, from a social standpoint, if a child is, is seeming to be disconnected socially, if they don't have an interest in in observing or playing with others at a certain age, that would be a red flag. So are they, are they watching other kids play at around two years? Like Rhea was talking about, or are they only focused on their, on their own play and not really looking or interested in what other people are doing? Um, Are they engaging in pretend play by at least, you know, by around three years and you'll see even simple pretend play in toddlers and, you know, 18 to 18 months to two years. Um, are they playing cooperatively with others at around four years? So it's looking at those stages, looking at those milestones as a general guideline. Um, but you can, you know, you can see if your kiddo is appearing, is even wanting to share things with you. So like that joint attention or that shared attention is really important. So when two people are focusing on the same thing, when Milo like picks up a a toy or, or looks at a toy and looks back at you and looks or looks at you, then looks back at the toy, like, look, mom, there, look at the, look at that, look at Woody, you know, he's showing Mm -hmm. you that he wants, that he wants you to be interested in what he's doing as well. Um, If you're not seeing that, that would be a concern. And then another concern would be like, if you're, if your kiddo is not using toys, how they're intended to be used. So 
for example, like even toddlers should know should be using toys appropriately, like pushing a car and making the like the noises that go with the car. Um, so are is do they have a car and they're like spinning the car around and around or or lining up the cars and not using them functionally when they should be? Um, those would be red flags too. But again, the milestones and and stages are guidelines, but there are you know they do there are uh, ranges of normal as well. Right. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner. They have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. All right, so we'll get into stuff that I'm pretty curious about. So the basic principles of play. So this, if I think I'm right in saying that this is kind of can be looked at as advice for parents or like how to play with your child. Definitely. Um, okay, yay. <laughs> so the, um, the OTs are going to address this part. So we stress so much. Amanda and I, that just get on your kid's level, get on the ground with them, see how they're playing. Parents should always just really observe, see what they're interested in. Um, is like we've previously stated, like, are they movers? Are they talkers? Do they like toys? And be really open-ended and let it just be child-led. 
So then you should always just be a facilitator and not really like forcefully like saying, okay, like now we're going to the kitchen and you're going to make me a burger. (laughs) Don't like force them to do that. And don't like, if he's playing, if Milo or what your kid is just playing with a toy on the ground and having fun and you want him to do something like kind of smoothly transition it. Don't just break it up completely. Keep it light, keep it fun, but really just get on the ground and observe them first and see how they're doing and try to get on their level. Cause a lot of parents are, they see the kid and they see a kid playing with a Woody and then maybe someone wants to bring Buzz Lightyear in and start like flying with Woody, but that might just be too much. Yeah. Maybe like at that level, if you watch, maybe he's really just observing Woody and kind of trying to, like Sean just said, with the joint attention, it's bringing attention to Woody. Like it might not be the right level for him. So yeah, our big thing is just to get on their level. And um, so kind of like yeah, following play- their lead. Right. Yes. We always, play should always be child led. Um, Cause it's really about that connection and engagement that we build with, with our kiddos and um, play is really where kids integrate information. This is how kids are learning cause and effect. It's how they're learning to, um, to problem solve, to sequence things. It's how um, they learn responses. Like that didn't go right. I'm trying to build this. I'm trying to put this on top. It's how I learned to persist in a task. Um, So there's a lot of, a lot of integrating that, that happens for kids. Kids aren't going to tell you I had a tough day at school. They're going to say, play with me. You know, they're wanting your engagement and your attention um, which we know is not always possible. Parents, um, grownups have other things to do sometimes. So there's times when um, maybe you want to set up a play task for a kiddo and let them um, build something for you. And you're going to say, I want you to see if you can build the tallest tower you can. Mommy's going to wash the dishes. I'm going to come back. And then I want to see how tall it is. And then it's going to be my turn to build something. And I'm going to see if I can build a tall tower. You know, so there's times when it, the play is, trading off, you know, that you're, you're taking turns. And then there's other times when you're joining in and you're helping f- to facilitate your, maybe you have a kid who's a big mover and isn't really so interested in maybe some more fine motor things, but you know, if you maybe build them an obstacle course and say, okay, we've got to pull all the couch pillows down and we're going to climb over them. We're going to go through the tunnel and then we're going to find the crayon that we want. And then we have to go all the way back through over the trampoline, over the pillows, and then we're going to get back. And then we're going to see if we can draw, you know, the legs to the spider, whatever it is, you know? So there's times when we can make our play more developmentally appropriate and giving it more layers and more pieces, which is really what we do a lot of. If you look at um, our information on walk, talk, play, we like to say, here's this toy, but here's all the different things that you can do with it. And here's how we're going to facilitate adding language to it and here's how we're gonna facilitate adding movement to it um right like even with like a puzzle we talked about a puzzle earlier a puzzle doesn't have to be a tabletop task where a kiddo just sits and inserts like the six puzzle pieces you can put the puzzle pieces on one end and he can be a frog and do frog jumps to get to the other end we're all about um adding in other components to play that's our big, um, I guess our, our niche, but the big thing is that just because 
ideally you want him to sit at the table. It doesn't mean he has to, like you can put it on the ground. You could say like, what animal is this? You can work on language. You can imitate sounds and do more language and then add in a gross motor component. Um, so play, just be, don't be rigid, be adapt, see what else you could do. Think out like, this is so generic, but think outside the box. (laughs) You're right. And so if a child was like, you called it a mover, which is, I think that's what Milo is. And then you're constantly trying to get them to do these more, you know, quiet, like fine motor Mm -hmm. skill things. I would guess that that child would seem like they would be acting out sometimes, but it's because they're a mover and they want to be moving. But maybe to some parents, they would think like, geez, like he's so, you know, being crazy. But it's like you need to give him the opportunity to move and and play how he is wanting to play. Absolutely. And we all have different temperaments and different sensory needs. And, you know, some of us are more sedate, some of us move more. So, you know, matching um, the, act, the right activity to the, to the moment. Um, there's a, a phrase that's used a lot in the sensory processing world, which is a whole nother conversation that we're not going to have. But um, it's also used in therapy in general called the just right challenge, you know, where we're wanting an activity to be my kid is capable of doing most of the parts of it, but yet it's interesting and intriguing enough and challenging enough that I stick with it. Um, And that's that intrinsic buy-in. I mean, if you put, I always use this example, but if you put a textbook in front of me that's in Mandarin and every day you said, read this textbook, I'm eventually just going to like cry and give up and throw it out because like, I don't know how to do it. I don't have a skill that that challenge is way too above me. Um, You know, but if it's something that is an interest to you, like I like trucks and cars, but maybe we added a tape line, you know, and now there's a painter tape line and it's going over some obstacles and now I have to push this car and I've got to use some muscles to get over the obstacles. I'm more interested. It's a buy-in for me. I like this activity. There's a little something that's a little hard, but I'm interested enough to see what's going to happen if I push this car up the hill and then it goes down. Right. I love that. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, I get certain ideas for things just online, social media. And it's like, wow, I never thought of that, but it's so simple. And like, I follow this guy and we've talked a few times, Mr. Chaz. And I was talking about Milo drawing on the floors and he was like, you know, get a massive piece of cardboard and put it up on the walls. Like he wants to draw with his whole body and like, you know, right. be really expressive as opposed to like, here's this little friggin' coloring book, mm-hmm. like just, you know, color within the lines. It's like, you know, and so I, I started to follow little tips and, and do activities that I would see online. And it was like, wow, like if, you know, and I, I thought to myself, you know, if parents don't have this knowledge or these ideas, then you would have no idea that, you know, they're coloring on the floors because they want more they need more space like he's just at an age where he needs more space so it's such valuable information for parents to have yeah right. I you love- didn't need a lot of fancy toys like you didn't need to go buy a 200 dollars tablet to play this game you needed a cardboard box that you got yes. when you ordered something on amazon and that's really where that's the best part of play like that's where to me you know, that kind of almost improvisational piece, like that 
it can be anything. Like you can take a hula hoop or a swim noodle or a, you know, marshmallows and toothpicks, whatever. And all of a sudden it can become many different things. And we realize that that's not always everybody's skill set. Like parents, like you said, you know, you haven't been a child in a long time and you have a professional degree where it's like, I I play with toys all day, but, um, (laughs) I to add to that, Amanda, um, my daughter, who is two and a half, we spent the entire day with a lime like two days <laughs> ago. <laughs> and we put the lime to bed, we dressed the lime, and we even took the lime to the beach and buried the lime in the sand. And it was like her favorite toy for the day. Yeah, and why that's can amazing. your lime not be your best friend? It right. can, you know, and that's that part, that buy-in. Um you know, that when your kid says, my lime is my best friend today, you say, yes, where are we taking you? What are we going to do? Should we draw a face on you? You know, do you need a bed? Do you, you know, like we put eyeball stickers in a little mouth. Yeah, you got to buy in yeah. um, well, and figure out what lime was living its best life. <laughs> it really totally. was. Yeah. And, and I feel like parents just-, just need to remember that how simple play can be. So a lot of parents are like, I don't know how to play with a kid. Like my husband's one of them. We don't have kids, but he sees like, I don't know. How do you interact with kids so easily? Like it's insane, but it's just because you, it's don't think of it as hard. Just think of it as just simple, simple steps. Like, like Amanda was just saying, where does the lime want to go today? What does the lime want to do? Just really simple. Like, does it need eyes? Um, you really don't have to be too complex. You don't have to be like, all right, let's go juice it and make limeade. But <laughs> we don't need to do that. We that don't. might be tragic. She might <laughs> Right. And we all, we all already have a personality. Like you don't need to be somebody that you're not to play with your kid. Like I, I tend to sing a lot. Like that's who I am. Everything reminds me of a song. So like I change the words to songs all the time. And sometimes they're kids songs. And sometimes they're like, 80s hairband songs but like it doesn't matter like that's like what I do like that's who I am but like if you're somebody who likes to create things and make things you know you can you know bring your kid into that activity that you're already doing maybe you're baking something you know pull them in let them you know have a turn um you know Kim's husband Frank is a really smart interesting guy who knows a lot of things like you know kids love to learn little little tidbits of information and they're playing with something, adding in, adding in things like being who you already are, um, you know, not pretending to do something that you're not, but. Right. I'm always trying to get uncle Frank to just show our nieces <laughs> and nephews. Like, why don't you just show them something fun on the computer? Cause he like codes all day long, but like, let's see, let's do a cause and effect. Just t- take it down. Uncle so that's going to show you how to use Google Maps. <laughs> it's like yeah. simple things like that. And he can, and then it's fun. And, but it's just simple things like that. You don't think as play, but it is play. Like it's so interesting. We have one nephew who loves maps and loves addresses and him and Frank just go on the computer together and nice. that's okay. That's their part of play. Yeah. And so yeah, do you guys have any advice do you guys have any advice for, because I've heard things about, you know, you don't want them to have too many toys around. You kind of, like, people talk about rotating yeah, their toys. toy rotation is huge. Yeah. Okay. Huge. You do not want to have, like, 20 different toys around. Um, even with Forea's daughter, every time I come over, I bring a new toy. 
and then I'll take another toy away because she needs just new like I I have a lot of nieces and nephews I'm like a like not a real auntie but a an honorary auntie and I'm like just have like five toys out put those all in a bucket put it in put it away in the garage and then if they're not engaging with that toy like overnight take it out and put a different one in and see how it is because if you and never combining know. toys yeah bringing out something that has been they've done this puzzle 800 times but right like, if we make it into a new play if we took all the pieces and we put t- painters tape and we hid them all through the house and taped them up on different things it becomes a whole new game yeah and you don't, don't have to like- go out and buy things either it can be the unexpected like maybe your little guy likes action heroes you know and they're usually fighting bad guys, but maybe one day, you know, they want to take a bubble bath. Like, you know, they you can play with toys in, in different ways. And sometimes the addition of something that, you know, there was a bean and rice bin, but then you added toilet paper rolls and measuring cups. And now it's a new game. Now there's something to pour it into and a purpose to it, you know? Right. So yeah. And it's then not like, always about buying something new. It's the, the recycling and the rotating and, you know, yeah, you don't, make, all, make you don't have to go game. buy a new toy. That's like right. some parents are like, Oh, they won't play with any of their toys. Like we have to go to target and buy something. You don't have to, not, not necessarily. Like maybe there's a toy, like say a kiddo wasn't using their Mr. Potato head for like months. It's just sitting in the corner. sad. <laughs> But you can bring it out and you can, instead of just inserting the arms, kind of like do it more like operation, like put it in Play-Doh, put it, hide it somewhere, go on a scavenger hunt to make um, Mr. Potato Head. So it's just like finding you need pretend surgery, get Potato Head hair. Right. (laughs) So it's not always needing a new toy. It's more so needing a new way to play with it. And that's just a part of like learning and growing and developmentally and playing. <laughs> right. We, uh, in quarantine, we often brought his, he was obsessed with the Toy Story little people. And he would oh, bring them outside cute. and like rub them into the dirt. And then when we came inside, we would give them a bubble bath. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> exactly. But it yeah, always, yeah. it like, things with toddlers always sound great and this is why on Instagram like I always show these things and I'm like oh my god look how amazing it is but I'm like to be honest guys like this ended with like a bucket of soapy water on my floor he was upset that the water got dumped and like it's it's not like he still got the good experience and like I'm happy that I did it but a lot of the times it's like so much work because it just ends in chaos with toddlers I find like it, it can never you don't want them to enjoy something too much because then as soon as like we can't do that activity anymore it becomes a problem right so and that goes I... that stems back to like the developmental stages of play mm-hmm. and just overall social so like right now like a two-year-old a three-year-old they're finding their voice they're using their voice definitely when they become upset but they're still not really understanding yet that there's rules and then you yeah. have to work together and you have to collaborate with mommy or daddy or whoever you're, whatever grown up is with you. So they're not quite yet at that cooperative play. They're still kind of sort of sharing, if not, but like they want to take control. They want it their way or the highway. And the hard part as a parent and as a caregiver is to be flexible with that 
um, and just realize, okay, like one day, one day he'll realize we have to clean up and there it's not going to, we're not going to yeah. scream, but yeah, he just doesn't really understand that yet. And that's okay. Oh. And right. kids don't understand time. Um, you know, time is a very abstract concept. I mean, it's hard for a lot of adults too. Um, <laughs> and kids are having these experiences for the first time. Like I've talked about this a, li- a lot when kids are starting school or some, there's a major change. Like we're adults. We've all changed jobs. Maybe you've moved to a new house. You've lived in a new city. You know, novel experiences, they're all brand new for kids. They've never done these things before. So, you know, we've got to give them a little bit of grace of, you know, mom said you could play tomorrow and maybe you had, you know, a big giant fit, but then you put it away. And then the next day you said, oh, look, it's here, you know, and they start to learn from that structure and routine that we give them that, you know, it happened and there was a new day and we did get to play it again. I also think that moment any easier. Yeah. And I also think that it's great that you facilitated that. So he had his little people and he was playing in the dirt. Some parents would be like, no, 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 don't get those dirty. Like, that's not how we play, but no, you need to let it like, let him kind of lead. And then you let him. So you're like, all right, so he's dig. they're getting buried and they're going to be dirty and they're going to need a bath, but just flexibility. So that's a huge component that you showed right there. And just that simple play scheme. Um, totally. I remember just because, um, his teachers from his daycare, they follow me on Instagram and they watch my stories. Mm -hmm. And I remember her once telling me like, I love how you just let him do stuff because he had went into the bathroom closet and he took out the box of Q-tips and he dumped it on the floor. And I was like, oh, well, whatever. Like they're already on the floor. And he was just like playing with all the Q-tips and I was just watching him. But I'm more of the type of parent that's like, okay, you can do what you want because I feel good that he's enjoying himself, but then I pay for it after having to clean it up. And it's the same with like the little people giving them the bath. I was like, this really sucked for me, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow because he enjoys it. And even though I'm going to have to go through this little tantrum, like when it's time to put it away or he spills the water everywhere, it's like, oh, well, like we had the experience and I'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> right. And then and then it takes it back that if since he had all that fun and then you want to do it again tomorrow, it's kind of like be prepared, kind of have like a sensory area outside. All you need is two buckets, two bowls, two large bowls, one with clean water, one with warm soapy water. And then mm-hmm. he can clean them before going inside. So like this is where we're going to have um, – they're, they're going to take their bath. And then with the Q-tips, with the dumping, like you didn't, you don't have to go throw those out. Those can just go into another container and put it with his toys and he can play with Q-tips. Like Amanda and I love taking simple like household items and using them as toys. Like mm-hmm. we were talking yesterday about a tennis ball. So like a tennis ball, you cut in half and it can be a monster. It can... Mm-hmm. You can open up the mouth, you can play, you can put small objects in there, and then you can dump it out. But there's a lot of play with just like a ball and then the Q-tips, you can turn it into an art project. So some parents might get like really upset and you have every right to be like, oh man, I don't want to clean that up. But yeah, just think of, put it away, put it and try to use it a different way. Yeah, totally. Um Okay, so next I thought we could have some advice for parents with regard to pretend play. 
So what age would this be happening at? Like Sean said earlier, pretend play, it, it kind of starts emerging when kids are, are really young, like that 18 months, even you'll see a kid pick up mommy's phone or daddy's phone or whoever the grown up is and pretend to talk on it. But they're not really quite in that imaginative play until they're more kind of in that three-year-old age range. Um, but that's really where we kind of see that, like I, I talked about earlier, that improvisational almost feel to it, that you're you're buying in to um, the task that your kid has brought forward to you. They're saying, this toilet paper roll is my telescope. I'm looking for Mars. And you're like, oh, wow, can you see it? You know, you, you're buying into to that type of play. Um, and then you're saying you're adding to it, you know, what happens if we do this or what else do we need? Um, you know, you're kind of building, building around it and showing them that realistic things don't always have to be, you don't have to have a telephone to play telephone. You know, you can pick up the banana and the banana's a phone and maybe that's even <laughs> sillier. Maybe you're, you know, calling the monkey on the phone and you, he has a banana phone and you're both talking on the phone. Um, you know, it's that unexpected, you know, that um, I can't tell you how many kids, even big kids I've had that I just really struggling to get them to interact with me. I'm like, oh, I got to get this kid to to play with me so we can work on what we need to get to. And things like putting things on my head and pretending to sneeze and it falls off like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? It's the unexpected piece, you know, so sometimes it's. Um, it's just adding on and, 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 and building into, um, you know, things that your kids are already interested in. Your right. Kids and also like play Mars rover. They don't know anything about space, you know, but. Right. And it's also ahead, important to like draw from real life experiences. Like Amanda was saying, pretend play can be so simple and then it can be so complex. And then from simple to complex, you just realize it's also a part of development. So when you're around two, you'll be using an object like pretending that this is a phone. But then when you're going to like three or four and your your language is building and your cognition is building, you're realizing that like you don't have to really rely on the prop. You can be like, and he can use his words like, okay, mommy, like here, this stick is going to be your phone. Um, and then that came out because that he wasn't thinking that way when he was two, when he was two, he was, he had a play phone and put it next to his ear or like he picked up an iPhone and was like pretending to talk. So it just gets, it builds and builds and it starts to slowly putting more role playing and then like playing house, imitating like three years old. They love to imitate. Like if you're <laughs> cooking and baking, he's going to want to cook and bake too. So maybe that can be um, a pretend play scheme that you work on they really like we're acting out things that are gonna happen you know sometimes some kids if you're gonna go to the doctor and as kids get older they start to know that it's gonna happen am I gonna have to get a shot and that's when you start to play some of the games like oh you know sometimes the doctor has to listen to your heart let's practice and um you know now it's your turn and now I'm gonna get a shot you're gonna get a shot oh it hurt for a minute but I'm okay now you know, mm -hmm. we start to kind of face our fears and face things that are going to, that are happening in the world. I had an older sister. And so we played school all the time and I was the class and she was the teacher. Um, you know, but it's how, 
you know, we, we practice, we hadn't gone to school before, but we practice knowing like what might happen, you know, like maybe you got in trouble sometimes, or maybe, you know, like you had to sit down and do your worksheets or, you know. But I also think it's how like a lot of younger kids can cope with things. So like for my, for example, my daughter will have like a meltdown or a tantrum. And then maybe later when we're playing dollhouse, you know, I can be kind of suggestive, like, no, you can't have that toy. And we'll, we'll literally act out what she had the meltdown over and then talk about it. And it totally facilitates her just kind of coping with her big feelings <laughs> rather than trying to have an actual conversation with her because that's not really going to fly. Um, How old is she? She's two and a half. Wow. Uh, yeah, but she'll, you know, she will have, she'll have a little meltdown every now and then about like transitioning to the bath and not want to do it. And then I'll take her little, her little people and, and I'll be the little girl and then she'll be the mommy and she'll, she'll, it'll just, sometimes it'll just come out of her naturally and she'll be like, you have to go to the bath. And then I'll <laughs> act like she act, acted and she, and we play this whole weird role play thing that, and, and it's totally led by her, but it, it this weird I don't know you're this you're this it's rehearsal you're the you're the psych right you (laughs) like this this literally sounds like role-playing and like group therapy or something right I was like this is your domain not mine (laughs) I love it they act out things that they aren't sure about or that they don't understand necessarily it's how they're they're figuring out that you know figuring out new information Milo's really into and I I think it's for his age, like it's age appropriate for him is helping me do things. So I always try and involve him in like vacuuming. And if I'm like wiping stuff down, like I have him help me. Um, and yeah, he's, he's really into that. Yeah. And I have one friend who is son is like that as well. And I'm like, why give him a pretend vacuum? Give him a handheld, let him clean. Like it's not let him do it. Like you run the big vacuum, give him a handheld. He'll love the noise. It works on fine motor to keep his hand on the trigger. It's building like big (laughs) muscles because it's heavy. Like, yeah, do it. Part of being a family member too. Part of being a family member is, you know. You carried him for nine months and delivered him. It's the least he could do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Clean up your house. So funny. Um, okay, so to end, I thought I'm just looking at the our little points here, and I thought we could end with tricks for encouraging independent play because I think parents will will like this topic. Yeah, that's a good one, um, and I think that independent play is is huge. Like we've talked a lot about collaborative play and cooperative play and pretend play. Um, the kids need a chance to be bored. And to, you know, have some items and figure out what to do with them. Um, I would not suggest if you have an important Zoom meeting that you really need some quiet time to just say, here you go, go play. Um, But that's, I think, when you're adding a little bit more of a play setup of something that you know is interesting and intriguing to them, something that fits kind of their play personality, um, if they're a kid who kind of likes some messy play, like maybe that's the time um, that you're giving them, you know, some buckets and bins and a sifter and some beans. And you're saying, you know, here you go. I'm going to set you up with this game. And then maybe 30 minutes in, 
and you're thinking, okay, they're probably going to be done with this soon. That's when you can go maybe add a couple things to it. You know, like, oh, here now is your cars and some paper towel tubes. And now you can see if, you know, what happens if they roll down and add, you know, add something to the play. But, um, right. but those, those small place setups of maybe something they haven't gotten to do before, um, you know, a new sticker pad with, um, you know, a pretty picture up on the wall and they can, you know, put the stickers onto it. And you can also, yeah, it's really, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. I was just going to say, you can also, um, be like set up a scheme, a play scheme for them. So if it's pretend play, maybe give them a purpose for using those items. Like, Oh no, the cars are broken. We need to like Lego blocks or something. You pretend that they're cars and we need to fix them. So they have all of these blocks that they need to put Legos that they need to put together to put the cars back together. Or you have a baby doll. Oh, the baby doll. Look at all the boo-boos. And you have stickers that you're pretending are band-aids. And then they, it's like, Oh, we need to help, help baby put all of these, these band-aids on her boo-boos something like that just like start the play scheme off for them is also something else that so something with like a goal in mind like a task for them to do are some kids just just naturally better at independent play because milo is like a professional independent (laughs) player and i'm really happy because he's going to be an only child but he's just so he's so great at playing on his own yeah that happens some kids are like to play on their own, just like some adults. It's like the opposite of an introvert and an extrovert. Um, some kids are really good at coming up with their own play schemes and playing on their own. And then some always want someone with them. And there's no right or wrong in that situation. That's just how your child is playing. So okay. like Amanda and Sean said, like make sure that it includes their interests. So like, because he's really into Woody, you don't have to like mm-hmm. introduce trolls right now. He's not going to play with trolls. So just like, Make sure you have something that he actually likes um, and then kind of just like set it up. So we actually, this is like a perfect segue. We're going to post about like a busy box soon where it has like two to three little activities in this bin where the kid can do um, probably like 10 different activities if they, if with minimal encouragement um, and it's just more very intrinsic. So it's just providing the right tools and by right tools I don't mean the right toy I just mean something that they're interested in something that they've played with before so that they can think a little bit more abstractly so say a kiddo really likes hammer and nails um you can like that type of toy you can give him like a a pad and like a model of a a drawing that they can use that as well or find something else that you can hammer can you hammer this instead um it's just kind of adapting what they already like and then kind of letting them do it so this busy box thing this busy box thing that you're talking about where are you posting that we're gonna post it on it's planned for sunday um we realize with a lot of parents Um, With Zoom and school, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of responsibility. So we're just going to recommend like just a a bowl with like three different things. And here are the three different ways that you can play with this toy. And it could be something simple. Like if you have an older kiddo that's working on snipping, just have like pre-made lines. And then there's kid scissors and they can just sit there and like there's already 10 pre-made lines and he can cut along them. 
Awesome. Um, having Play-Doh and some props with the Play-Doh. Play-Doh is huge. You can roll it. You can turn it into a cake, a pancake, a snake, a letter, um, pizza, hamburger, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like it, But just having that ready for like if you have to get on a call and you're also taking care of your kiddo, like it's just there. And then there's there's ready activities that aren't hard to set up. That's our, awesome. our main idea. Yeah. If you guys, this won't be aired by Sunday, but tag me and if it's like a story <laughs> or whatever, so that I can share it so people can, can see that. That's awesome. Definitely. Um, so I asked you guys to come up with three resources that you would recommend for moms or parents. And it can be anything like a podcast, uh, Instagram account, a documentary, a movie, whatever. So there the- are so many, so yes. many. And thank goodness, like for social media, there's so many great accounts, not yes. just toot, my, toot our own horn, but Walk Talk Play. And with Walk Talk Play, we've interacted with so many other great accounts, like search by the hashtags, like Social media isn't terrible, but it's a quick way to learn um, some fun little tips. That's what mm-hmm. hashtags are for. Um, there are some really great accounts. There are, um, we really like, like there's this one account, Seven Days of Play. And she was used to be a teacher and she's got three kids and she's so creative with her play. So just like looking at her page for uh, like five minutes just scrolling, you just feel inspired. You're like, I can do that. I can totally do that. And then there's also like, there's great milestone checklists. And I personally really love the baby center website. Um, a lot of parents just think it's for babies, but, and then a lot of moms tend to sign up when you're newly pregnant, but like every month, every couple weeks, if you haven't unsubscribed, there are tips of where your kids should be so it exists and I really think like social media is huge um and I cheesily think that kids are my my that's where I get all my inspiration from and play kids have great ideas um and if we kind of give them the opportunity to um show us what they want to do um or have ideas. And sometimes I've had kids come up with these crazy ideas and I think that's not gonna work, but that's when you say let's see what's going to happen. And it doesn't work, but maybe we come up with something different because of this idea. So I I've, this is my 20th year as an OT this year, and I am constantly mesmerized by the things kids come up with and the things they're interested in and the crazy games we wind up playing. So um, to me, that's cheesy as that is, I think that that's still my, my, my biggest part of play inspiration is, is, I'm going to put that in the it's episode notes. Good. Your child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number one resource. Number one yeah. is your kid. Like you can spend yeah. an hour setting up something you saw on Pinterest and your kid won't even play with it. 100%. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> oh my Just God. keep it simple. Like that's our, I feel, I'm, I know I'm speaking for all of us, but I feel like the big thing we want to stress is keep it simple silly and that's it and let your child and connected and engaged yeah mm-hmm. and like let your child lead you totally 
You and got, also in terms uh, of like our, our website, like a shameless plug, but <laughs> on our website, uh, you know, in the activities center, it's, we have it kind of categorized by skills. So there's like a fine motor category, a sensory category, a gross motor category. So if there's an area that you're purposefully trying to play with your child, then you can go straight to that category and kind of check out and get ideas. Um, and then, you know, each month we will feature what we call, or we like to call an all-star toy of the month, which is basically a, kind of a toy that will be like biggest bang for your buck where you can use it to, to, you can utilize that toy and come up with a lot of different play schemes to work on all sorts of tasks. And we obviously work on, you know, tend to focus primarily on OT, physical and speech-based tasks, but in terms of development, that's, you know, a lot of the majority of what they're working on. So um, it just to give lots of ideas. And we're working now on kind of a little freebie on our website, too. It's called the Parent Playbook. And it's just, you know, a lot of what we cover tonight, just little tidbits to make and simplify play so that it's not such an intimidating thing. And parents realize that they're accomplishing a lot through play with their kid. So. Awesome. I was literally yeah. just going to say that. Like, I was looking through your website today and I was like, this is amazing. Like, how everything is categorized. So nice. So, definitely check out their website for ideas and activities. Um, so, lastly, where can people find you guys, like all your social media stuff and what your website is? And if they wanted to get in contact with you guys, what should they do? So we're on it all. We have Instagram at Walk Talk Play. We have a Facebook page. We have um, our website, walktalkplay.com. And then we also have a Pinterest. So we're there. Oh, that's awesome. Pinterest. Yeah. Um, Miss Amanda is our <laughs> Pinterest queen. Um, she... I just am old and I've been obsessed with Pinterest. <laughs> I had to join Instagram so that we could have an Instagram account because I'm old and no one my age has Instagram. Um, so I was like, no, I like Pinterest because I can then say, I want to make a Halloween craft. And then I just look up fun ideas and then I get inspired by, you know, looking at other people. So ideas, when are so. you guys going to make a TikTok account? <laughs> Uh, if I have a vote, we're not. But, but I, I am I'm too afraid, Renee, to go down the rabbit hole and just get too addicted. With it's reels, so fun. I'm already like, like trying, spending every nap time trying to come up with some stupid reel that I have to make, and so I'm, I'm just kind of fighting the urge. You guys yeah, can we'll, do we'll so many you. cool TikToks about play, like just like show the different ways to play but it's so funny because every time I talk to people they're like how do you balance like social media and your life or they ask me about like consuming social media content and I'm like um all my time goes into creating social media content (laughs) I like I do not consume at all and I wish I could because I do like consuming like I go on like TikTok binges every once in a while because I need to get ideas but um yeah, I really don't consume much at all. I create mostly. Your TikTok creations literally saved me through like, the majority Aww. of quarantine. Like I would go on and I would be quietly like giggling to myself in the corner after <laughs> Chloe went to sleep and my husband would be like, the mom room? And I'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all have shared struggles and you were so good at highlighting <laughs> oh, yeah. so many of them. Yes. I struggled in quarantine and that's like that made us 
have a good quarantine because it was it was it made it so fun and he loved like doing the dances and (laughs) yeah it was super fun it was I finished my PhD right before quarantine started here in Canada and like months ago in February or something people would ask me like oh like you're gonna be finished your PhD soon like what are you gonna do when you finish and I would just laugh and say like oh I'm gonna make TikToks and then I finished my PhD and then I literally (laughs) just made TikToks so I was like I I knew it I knew it months ago that this is what I was gonna be doing I think you're doing okay yeah it's it's pretty good well (laughs) I wanted to thank you guys so much for talking to me. This is the first time I've had more than just one co-host on and it turned out so well. So I'm really happy that we did this and I'm going to put all your information in the episode notes so that people can find you. Uh, So yeah, thank you guys so much from sunny Los Angeles. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. <laughs> well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha!